Hi, I'm Molly, and you're listening to the Mind Matters podcast. I have a thing called misophonia, which means I have a strong reaction to certain sounds. Not many people know what it is, and sometimes that makes it harder. My younger sister has OCD, and lots of people misunderstand what that means for her. That's why I've made this podcast, to help people learn more about some commonly misunderstood or little-known disorders, so that we can all live life with a little more empathy. But with misophonia, it's invisible, and it's so unknown that it's really hard to get somebody to understand what it is that you need and why. Today, I'm talking with my mum about my own journey with misophonia and how it affects our family. So when did you first realise that I might have misophonia? Well, you were about nine years old and you just suddenly started reacting at the dinner table. So we used to sit around the dinner table like lots of families do and it had never been a problem before. But then completely out of the blue, you started having these reactions like you'd maybe thump the table or stamp your feet and then often run off and burst into tears And it was just so unexpected and so out of character because you're a pretty chilled kind of kid. (laughs) Um, You didn't seem to have, you know, reacted with that kind of reaction to anything else before. Um, You're not somebody who particularly invites drama, so it didn't feel like you were doing it to draw attention to yourself. And we just had no idea what was going on. Um, so I, I talked to my mum about it, as you do about various parenting things, and she actually went away and did a bit of research first, and she sent me an article about misophonia, because she read it and thought, maybe that's what's going on. So I did a bit more research into what misophonia is, and realised that it sounded like exactly what was happening to you. Can you remember those early days, and when it first started affecting you? Um, I kind of remember... And it was really confusing at first because I felt like I was overreacting. So I didn't say anything about it. I also felt guilty when I reacted to other people's eating because I knew it wasn't their fault. But I couldn't really help the reaction. Yeah, and I think that's why you'd end up in tears each time after you'd reacted. Because you're naturally such a people pleaser and and the thing that was affecting you the worst was how bad you felt about making other people feel bad for reacting when they did something really normal like take a bite of food and I think that's one of the reasons we knew that it wasn't just you putting it on or overreacting there was something genuinely going on because it was clearly upsetting you so much that you were having these reactions but you clearly couldn't help it you couldn't stop them can you remember what the things were that you reacted to at the start yep it was the noise of any adults in my family eating And then after a while, it became drinking as well. But just adults, it wasn't your sister at that point at all, was it? Yeah, any kids were fine for some reason. Yeah, I think we've been really lucky as a family that you don't tend to react to your sister so much. You do occasionally now, but usually you're okay at least just eating with her. So even though we can't sit down as a family at the dinner table anymore, at least you and your sister can eat together and that means you're not kind of left all alone at every mealtime hiding down in your room um, we can we can have you and Elsie eating and um, and then mum and dad might eat later or something like that. How's it changed for you as time's gone on though? Do you react to different things now? Now almost any sounds using the mouth 
Even things like breathing or a croaky voice will make me react. I know that it's completely unreasonable to have a problem with someone breathing, but I just can't help what triggers me. It just happens. Although on some days it's better than others. Yes, I've noticed that too. Like, There's days where you stomp around the house and I don't even know what you're reacting to. But on other days I can be literally eating in the same room and you seem to be able to cope with it. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's mostly because of tiredness and in the mood I'm in. So if I haven't had enough sleep or I'm stressed, my misophonia is usually worse. But when I'm having a good day, I'm still aware of the triggers and they still affect me, but it's just not as bad. And it's easier to like control my reactions. And I've noticed that sometimes it's even just seeing something that triggers you, even if you can't hear it, right? Also, sometimes I think you anticipate that something's about to happen or someone's about to do something that triggers you and you react before it's even happened. Mm-hmm. Those things seem to have developed over time. I definitely can't watch an adult eating, even if I have earphones on. The anticipating triggers happen when I'm having a bad day and I'm really struggling with it because I think I just go into high alert and I'm almost waiting to be triggered the whole time. I also find that the noises that trigger me repeat in my head once I've heard them. So sometimes you and Dad will say, Molly, the noise isn't happening anymore. You can stop reacting. But it's actually still happening in my head. So which situations are particularly hard for you? Like, What are your nightmare scenarios? Going out for a special dinner with the wider family is especially hard, especially when people are trying to talk to me while they're eating or drinking. Mum and Dad have got good at remembering not to do that, but it's harder for those who don't live with me to remember that I have misophonia and that those situations are hard. Yes, those family occasions like Christmas and birthdays are particularly hard for people with misophonia, I think. They're occasions that you all want to enjoy, but for the person with misophonia, it's kind of a nightmare scenario in a lot of ways, so we have to be a bit more creative with how we do those celebrations. We'll come up with a few tactics, eh, Molly? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we try and organise those occasions so that the kids eat separately to the adults. Like, we might feed the kids first or have a different area for the kids to sit away from the adults. Even when we go to restaurants as a family, my sister and I will sit in a different table if we can. That doesn't always work, though. No, we have had some slightly awkward situations at restaurants. It's just... People don't understand, so it's really hard when you try and make a booking for a family of four, but you kind of want to ask if you can have that as two separate tables, but nobody understands why you would be wanting that. And it makes it especially difficult because not many people know what misophonia is. Exactly. It would be so much easier in some ways if you were in a wheelchair, for example, because people then immediately understand that there is a certain accommodations you're going to need. But with misophonia, it's invisible and it's so unknown that it's really hard to get somebody to understand what it is that you need and why. And the other situation that I've found can be really difficult is when someone invites us all over for dinner. Mm-hmm. You don't know how they're going to serve that dinner and whether it's going to work for you, but you don't really want to be telling someone how they need to do things when they're hosting you. It's tricky because if you arrive and they've set the table for everyone to sit together and have dinner, I just know that you're not going to be able to handle that. 
But I also know that you find it uncomfortable if I point out that you have misophonia and that we're going to need to find a way for you to eat separately and, you know, and go into that conversation. So it's a really hard one, but something I think we need to come up with a plan for because it's you know, obviously going to keep happening. It would just be much easier if people knew what misophonia was so that you could just say, oh, Molly has misophonia and they'd understand. But it's so unknown that you then have to go into this long explanation about what it is and what that means for you. And that's exactly the kind of attention that you don't want. It's so unknown that as someone with misophonia, I don't even know how you're supposed to pronounce it. You may have noticed that in the last episode that I was pronouncing it differently to get out when. When I've searched it up online, people have pronounced it misophonia, misophonia and misophonia. And as Kat pointed out in your last interview, it's not even in the like diagnostic Bible thing that psychologists etc. use. So it's also nearly impossible to find experts who can help you with misophonia, as so many of them don't even know what it is really yet. One of the things I've found helpful to understand it better is joining a Facebook group, which I found when we first worked out that you have misophonia. And I've read lots of stories from other families about how hard it can also be for some MISO kids at school because they might react to things like other kids breathing and clicking pens or kids eating snacks, etc. And that makes it so hard for them to be able to concentrate on their own work or even to be in the classroom at all. But of course, hardly any teachers know what misophonia is, so it's extremely hard for parents to get the schools to understand that their kids need certain accommodations to be able to work well, just like kids with other neurodiverse conditions need. I can definitely relate. When I'm doing a test at school, sometimes there'll be like kids making certain sounds that trigger my misophonia, and it makes me not be able to concentrate. It sort of feels like I'm trapped, and it puts me into like a panic. That's interesting. I didn't realise that. So that's something that we'll need to really think about heading into high school and how we're going to handle it because you'll have important school exams coming up and. There'll be ways to handle it, like maybe you need to get used to wearing headphones in those situations and, and get um, have the ability to wear your headphones in exams or even sit in a separate room to do your exams or something like that. We'll have to work that out with your teachers. So what are some of the things that you have learnt to do to help you cope with your misophonia so far? I felt really relieved when you explained to me what misophonia is and that there are many people with it. I felt like that maybe I wasn't going crazy after all. <laughs> and then it helped to understand what was happening in my brain and that it's my flight or flight response that is, for some reason, overreacting to these sounds and telling my brain that I'm at risk when clearly I'm not actually. You used to get me to talk to my misophonia and say something like, thank you for protecting me, but it's okay, I'm not a threat. And then you also got me to do breathing exercises to help calm down my brain. But because it didn't always feel like those things were immediately helping, I kind of stopped doing them because I felt like they took too long to work. But now I realise that I shouldn't have stopped because they take practice and the more you do them, the more they help. So I'm going to try and get back to doing more of that. Other things that... I found to help me on music, especially at mealtimes. Eating outside is sometimes better because you don't feel so trapped. And there was this one time when we had a win with the dinner out because we went to a teppanyaki restaurant for my sister's birthday. 
and I endured the whole thing because I felt like I didn't even have misophonia because I was completely distracted by walking, watching the Chepinyaki chef doing his tricks. Yes, I can remember that being the best dinner and you even came up to me at one point and gave me a big hug and said you felt like you didn't even have misophonia for the first time in so long, which was so awesome to hear. It's, even at, a, at the restaurant, even the way the seats were arranged in a semicircle around the chef, so you weren't having to look directly at any of the other people eating. You just had the chef in your sights, and then there's all the cooking noises, masking the eating noises. It's almost like teppanyaki restaurants were specifically designed for people with miso. <laughs> <laughs> What's the one thing that you wish people understood about misophonia, Molly? That it's not just not liking the sound of someone eating. It's an uncontrollable physical reaction. It's really frustrating when I try to explain to someone that I have misophonia. And they say that they have it as well because they don't like the sound of nails down a chalkboard or people eating with their mouth open. When those are sounds nobody likes. And that does not make it misophonia. Yeah, that's been a common theme in all of the interviews that you've done that I've listened to. I think it's human nature to naturally try and relate and find common ground. But we all need to be really careful not to minimise what someone else might be going through by saying that we have the same thing, unless we know that we really do. I'll tell you what is a real side effect of living with someone with misophonia though, and I'm sure if there are other people listening who have members of their family with misophonia, they'll relate to this. I've found that I now can't help but be constantly alert to any sounds that might affect you, even when I'm not with you. So I sometimes have to remind myself that you're not in the room, I can eat that chip, or it's okay to relax and enjoy a dinner with friends when you're not there because I think the urge to protect you from the sounds that hurt you is just always kind of at the front of my mind. Yeah, I'm really aware that even though I'm the one with misophonia, it does affect the whole family and I feel bad about that. But you can't feel bad because we all understand like all of our brains are wired differently and it's just like your sister um, needs some extra support sometimes with her OCD and we're there for that and we're also there to support you whenever you need it with your misophonia even if we don't always necessarily get it quite right. Thanks so much mum that was very helpful. Thanks Molly for opening up and being brave and sharing your story. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to our discussion. It has been very helpful for my mum and I and I hope it is for you too. I recommend that if you have a condition, whether it's misophonia, OCD, ADHD, or something else, to talk to someone you trust about it. I think opening up to somebody about what you are going through is a really important step, because understanding leads to empathy.